All right. Well, I'm going to try and talk very quickly because the heart of today is for all of us to do really what our highest calling is, and that's to worship Jesus. And Christian spoke on um, this this past week, so I'm going to do a little bit of recap of what he shared. If you missed it, it was incredible. Make sure you go back to listen to the podcast. But we've been going over as a church our current series, kind of in and out of other things. Um, even our series are with a lot of freedom. So <laughs> is a series that we learned this past summer in France. And they took us through the seven stories that shape your life. So today we are on formation. And formation is through your worship. And so Christian actually, Landon, we can put the next slide. He quoted this last week. Or probably scribed it, knowing him. He didn't quote it. Um, but I wanted to just reiterate it. Worship is a result of moving from slavery to sonship, from oppression to freedom. God's ultimate desire for his creation was for those created in his image to worship him by choice. So I want you guys to just, everyone close your eyes, mostly not because we're religious, but just to remove distraction. And... Ask the Holy Spirit, would you remind me of a time where you really met me and encountered me and marked me in a moment of worship? And once you have that moment in the forefront of your mind, just ask God, what did you do to me in that moment? What did you do in that moment? Okay, now save it. Tuck it away in your pocket. We're going to come back to it. Um, there was an example when I was like, God, what is that in my life? When he brought me back to a mission trip we'd gone to in Brazil with Randy Clark. And I was just worshiping and raising my hands and saying, God, thank you for making me. Thank you for making me. Thank you for making me. And immediately, or kind of the Holy Spirit injected, and he said, stop. I was like, what? He goes, what are you saying? And I said, well, I'm saying thank you for making me. And he said, exactly. What did you used to say? And I go, uh, oh, I used to say thank you for saving me. And he goes, exactly. I'm taking your revelation from sinner and slave to that of sonship. Because we were saved at the cross, but we don't stay there. We continue on into this revelation of sonship. And really that's what happens in worship, is the formation of our deepest identity and longing. And Christian spoke on... Formation, how that's a map that God already has in our hearts. And it's an absolute joy for those who get to discover that. Worship, he, we're not, not going to re-go into all of it, but he said it's intrinsic to our human design. How God created us is of people who will worship. We may not worship God, but we'll worship something. And what you worship, you ultimately become like. So kind of in looking, it's like, okay, so what was my personal experience with worship? Because I did not grow up in a church. I did not grow up around worship music. The first time I actually saw it, I thought it was bizarre. I walked into a room and all these people were st standing up and staring at a screen and kind of singing like kumbaya songs. And I'm like, what is this? This is a cult. And I'm not sure I want to be part of it. But really what I found in worship after I came to Christ is I started to crave it. I wanted more of it. I felt like I could be fully alive in that space of worship. It drew me closer to God. It gave me greater clarity. And it was absolutely experiential. 
Or I'm married to a man who's, and he's very experiential, but he has a lot of brilliant head knowledge. I'm very much leaning heavily on side of experiential knowledge. And so when I first came to Jesus, this is like nearly 20 years ago, I discovered this brand new CD, and it's called Jars of Clay. <laughs> Aging myself right now. But every note by note, when I heard that song, I was like, I'm getting saved again. I'm getting saved again. I'm getting born again. I know that's horrible theology. You're not born again. But to that CD, it was like something in those worship songs awakened me. And then I would go to a Christmas service for the first time that I'd been a believer and actually listen to the words we were singing. And I'm weeping. And everyone else around me is like, oh, this is beautiful. Thank you, God. And I'm like, no, this is wrecking me. But it was something inside me where I was like, these words are why I was born. Like, joy to the world. Your Lord has come. Don't you guys realize it? But it was something in that worship that my heart was arrested, and I knew I was like, I, I'm never going to be the same. And I'm going to fast forward because I really want to. But um, so worship, we think it's singing, but it's also like how you live your lifestyle. And worship, I was like, I feel like sometimes I need to dance when I hear worship music. But then I saw people, and when they worship dance, it was kind of like these beautiful swan-like motions that I was like, oh, that's so beautiful, that interpretive dance of worship. But I'm not sure how many have actually seen it here, and that's showing me I need some more freedom in my life. But Christian knows if I'm going to actually worship dance in the fullness of the spirit, it doesn't look like a beautiful swan-like motion. It looks like river dance on steroids. And, like, and I mean, it is like that, no control, body parts flailing. But... Liz is imagining it. I'm appreciating that because it is out of control, but totally in line with who God's made me to be, like fully alive, fully exciting, and fully worship dancing and river dancing up here. But so when I looked at my own story of worship, I was like, I don't get it. I don't look like anyone else I know. I'm crying to jars of clay. I'm river dancing in the front. Like, what's going on? And then I heard of the person, Miriam, who is Moses' sister, and what we tapped into in this um, series of the seven story is found in the books of Exodus, where worship began. And when I look at what ha happened with Miriam, I was like, oh my gosh, it makes sense. I'm not crazy. Maybe a little bit still crazy. But <laughs> when I saw Miriam, I was like, oh, I could see myself in her. So to rewind, we think like, what did God give when the Israelites were taken out of Egypt in the Exodus? You can shout it out. If you were here last week, you already know the right answer. The law or worship. So what God, most people, there will be the law camp, the theologians, which he did give. But he set people on a journey, his people, into the exodus. He said, set my people free so that they can worship me. And so... I actually so resonated from this because Moses, they had just gotten out into the Exodus, the Red Sea, they'd just seen the entire army swallowed up and seen the power and the greatness of their God. And Moses gives a really long soliloquy, which is stunning, but Miriam, it says she comes, and Miriam the prophetess took a tambourine and led all the women as they played their tambourines and danced. And she sang this song, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. 
Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. And we have never before this moment seen Miriam in the entirety of Scripture. And yet here she is, a prophet, leading the people of God into a high-spirited dance. And this, in Israel's history, was the very birthplace of worship. Because in that moment, they didn't need an incredible theological explanation of what God had just done. They'd seen it, and they needed a way to respond with their bodies, with their words. And it was through repetition. Like, how do you respond? I mean, that's not really the most, oh, it's not up there, but if it was, beautiful line, like, where it's, he is, sing to the Lord, he has triumphed gloriously, he has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. I'm like, how do you make that into a song? But through repetition. And so what they were doing was declaring the victory of God over and over and over and using what they had. You have to wonder, why did she have a tambourine in her hand? If they were, there was no worship, there was no corporate together community singing and dancing and all these things. Well, because they had it for feasts. They were Hebrew for parties, for weddings. So she literally had women use what they were carrying as part of their everyday life to, as an act, like take this and offer it up to God. And so thank you, Jesus, for Miriam, and that I can find my sanity in her. And that really the birthplace of worship came through a woman out of Exodus. So Exodus and all, we went into the law and how the law was actually revealing the heart of God. I'm not going to go there today. Christian did a stunning job last week. Um, But Exodus, it's really about taking them out of slavery and giving them instructions, not for the law and how to live, but for worship. Because they were a people who had only done what they had been told to do. So God needed to reform, really, their minds and how they thought. And he said, let my people go so they can worship me. So worship, what is it? Worship is, I'm going to go over these really fast. It's intimacy. It's, I've heard it said it's eye contact with God. Where we connect to our Father. It's the act of making eye contact with your maker. It's refocusing. It's recalibrating with God. Like we can, you know, I see many spouses sitting together. You can live alongside your spouse and be breath apart, but if you haven't connected, you're not really in true union or in like your relationship's not growing. So it's refocusing, it's recalibrating, it's encountering God's presence. It changes everything. It can shift it in a moment, and you'll never be the same. And we at Frontier Church, we're always sharing this, sharing this. We live by the voice. And where do you hear that voice? You hear it in his presence. You hear it in the place of worship. It's remembering who you are by remembering whose you are. And... Worship, because often I grew up with a lot of striving, and so in my mindset, I'm like, God, I want to please you, I want to please you. I know that Israelites, and they offered sacrifices, but we're not offering blood sacrifices anymore. So what do we do? And he said, worship is how you please me. You please God by responding to his infection. And so Jesus, he didn't come to change the message of the Old Testament, but he came to recover it. Worship is the very anchor of what you're being. And so what we're going to do today, as we celebrate our third birthday on the Feast of Tabernacles, which is just incredible that those two have collided, um, we thought it only right to have a Sunday that we set aside all of the distractions, even the little blessed distractions that we love are over there so we can more easily focus on Jesus. Um, But we're going to worship and become fully aware of God's presence upon you. 
when we planted this church, we didn't know much. We really didn't know anything. God said, go to Pasadena. And we're like, okay, I guess you'll give us the next instructions when we get there because we don't know anyone other than Christian's brother who wasn't in Pasadena. But we did know that we would build it around worship. We'd build it around his presence. Back in 2014, God gave us a word that when you plant, that it'll be focused on worship. Because God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And so as a body of people, we're to be a worshiping people. Not by what we do, but who we are. It's an identity, a core issue. And so today, there's going to be four different ways we can respond. And it's going to be a little bit different. Because usually, our typical norm is we stand up and we worship God. But maybe today, that's not who you are, and you're wanting to just sit down and meet with God. There's total freedom here. So the four ways, the first one, which I was alluding to, was position. Move out. Like for me, Christian and I, we're always up here. Maybe I need to be on the floor over there worshiping God. But sometimes it takes a physical shift in where our bodies currently are to activate something on a deeper level in us. And the second way um, is with your heart where you can join in, trusting what God is doing in the unseen. Because God is always working on our behalf. He is the best dad in the whole world, and half the time we have no idea what he's doing. But when our hearts tap into his heart, we don't really mind, because we tap into his nature. We're like, and if you're that good, then I can trust you. So leaning in with your heart. With your eyes, look up. Not look around you to compare to one or another. The whole thing of like shutting your eyes is simply to remove distraction so you can focus on the eyes that are focused on yours. And then um, with your mouth, take hold. Declare it. Sing it out. We've moved into a new decade in the Hebrew calendar, and it's the decade of the mouth, the spoken word. God wants to partner with his finest creation, you. Say, I am God's finest creation. There's a teacher coming out of me. But he wants to partner with us. Like, he could have named all the animals himself. But he said, Adam, what do you think that looks like? They're kind of furry. They have a powerful body. He's like a lion. And then that lion embodied what Adam spoke. And he could have chosen just done it himself, but he wants to partner with us. And he partners through our declaration. So declare it. And worship, oh, James, I actually wanted to notate. He pointed out this lyric in Hillsong's new album that it just wrecked me. When we hear praises, we hear praises, he hears faith. So in the declaring the praises of God, he's hearing the faith of his people. 